Hey, podcast listeners, this one's for you and your fur baby. Take a second and imagine not having to worry about fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes, and feeling great knowing you don't have to use conventional pills or spot drops with questionable ingredients. Wonderside makes it possible with their flea and tick spray for dogs and cats. Lab tests prove it kills and repels fleas and ticks, and because it's plant-based, you don't have to worry about using it around kids and family. Did I mention it smells amazing? Try it for 20% off at wonderside.com slash podcast with coupon code podcast. That's Wonderside with a C. This is Beat Check with the Oregonian. I'm Andrew Thien. Today, we're taking a look back at the top stories of 2019, the moments that will stay with Portlanders and Oregonians into 2020 and beyond. Joining me today are my colleagues, Cale Williams and Everton Bailey, both reporters at the Oregonian. Thanks for taking the time, guys. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So, we're taking stock of the big stories of the year. It seems like several years in a row now, Everton, that housing and homelessness has been top of mind for Portlanders. Kind of refresh folks' memory. Where are we now uh, with those huge issues? Yeah, it's been kind of an interesting year. Uh, Oregon became the first state to limit rent increases to 7% a year. Um, as I mentioned, it's first Oregon's first state in the country to do that. So it's pretty significant. Meanwhile, kind of uh, on the housing and, and homelessness front across the city, I mean, we had the affordable housing bond measure. We've seen a lot of construction. We've seen right. a lot of private construction. Yes. Um, is that bearing out in rent increases? And um, I guess, is that affecting the, the level of homelessness that we see in Portland? Yes and no. Um, the city is finding that, you know, it's not a case where you, if you build it, they will come having housing doesn't necessarily stop homelessness. Right. And so the city is looking to do more to end chronic homelessness in terms of providing more services for people so that once they have housing, they can stay in it. For example, the uh, city and county and metro recently revised a intergovernmental agreement to, to divert some of the tourism dollars that come into Portland to homeless services. Uh, mm-hmm. That was something that happened in the last couple of weeks. Also, um, in terms of police response, the city recently um, approved a pilot project called the Portland Street Response, which is based on a model in Eugene called Cahoots. Right. So that will have uh, firefighters and social service workers uh, responding to lower level 911 calls. It's going to start in the Lentz neighborhood, and they're hoping to expand it to the, the entire city at some point in the future. That pilot pro- that pilot pro- program starts next year. Yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on to see if um, you know folks who are uh, so people who are experiencing homelessness aren't necessarily seeing uh, someone in a police uniform respond uh, to to calls from neighborhoods about you know chronic camp sites or things of that nature. You mentioned the legislative action this year, Everton. Uh, Kale, one of the other big stories down in Salem was the cap and trade situation and the Republican walkout. Uh, refresh our memories about how that all went down. Indeed. Uh, well, it actually wasn't just one walkout. It was two. Ah, uh, uh, yes. The first one came in May. Republican lawmakers down in Salem were facing a bill that they opposed, which would have raised a lot of money in new taxes uh, for public schools. They did not like the uh, prospect of raising taxes, and so they left. To get them back, Democratic lawmakers basically agreed to kill two bills, one on gun control, the other that would have tightened uh, mandated vaccines for children. Uh, There were some exemptions before that this bill would have closed. This was all in the midst of an outbreak of measles. Yeah, people might have remembered that happening on both sides of the river, right? Yep. 
uh, both in Washington and here in Oregon. Um, but the Democrats agreed to kill the gun control bill and the vaccine bill in an effort to get them back. They did. They voted on that legislation and it passed. But the most contentious bill was still to come. That was House Bill 2020, which was a cap and trade bill meant to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions, mm-hmm. basically put a, a price on how much carbon you could admit. Uh, the price would go up over time. And the theory would be that uh, polluters would then lessen their emissions. The Republicans were not a fan of that either. Uh, They left again. Um, There was a lot of heated rhetoric around them leaving. Uh, Brian Boquist, uh, a Republican senator, said that if the governor were to send police out to fetch the absent uh, lawmakers, Mm -hmm. that they should, quote, send bachelors and come heavily armed. I'm not going to be a political prisoner in the state of Oregon. That was a pretty shocking moment this year. Yeah, It, It was, and it kind of blew up. It got a lot of national attention. I mean, if you want to call it a veiled threat, it was very thinly veiled. So there was a lot of of tough talk around this. Uh, There were offers from some militia groups to come in and provide security for the lawmakers that had left. Um, They never took them up on that. Um, There were some big demonstrations down in Salem. Yeah, timber rallies, essentially, right? A lot of big logging trucks and things of that nature. Indeed, indeed. Um, But in the end, it, it wasn't the absence of the Republicans that caused the bill to to fail, uh, there were some Democrats who turned against it, um, and the bill was ultimately scrapped. That bill—it uh, wasn't just a walkout, though, Kale. I mean, it was also a across uh, the border go to go to Idaho. Yeah, they didn't just walk out of Salem; they kind of walked out of the state. Yeah, uh, there were rumors or, or drove s- out. <laughs> yeah, they didn't walk all the way to Idaho, but <laughs> yeah, but there there, there, there were there were rumors that they were in Washington, that they were in Idaho, and it became clear that some of them were had indeed gone across state lines to avoid being brought back to Salem. Senator Cliff Bentz, uh, you know, the influential Republican from uh, from Eastern Oregon, who's now running, uh, I believe is running for uh, Congressman Walden's seat, was one of those members who confirmed that they were in Idaho. Indeed. Yeah. Some crazy times down in the Capitol. Well, it feels like a long time ago. Um, uh, Transitioning to another big story from from this year, which is... um, something that's a worst nightmare for parents, right? It, or for, you know, our society right now is just a shooting at a, at a high school. But this was also more complex story than just that. Um, refresh our memory about Park Rose, what happened at Park Rose, Everton. Yes, well, uh, there was a senior student named Angel Granados Diaz who came to school with a shotgun. He, at some point, had been making statements to other students which led to at least one student notifying a staff member who then notified the football coach who also acts as a security guard at the school named Keenan Lowe. Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Lowe went to class looking for Mr. Granados Diaz. And it just so happened that as Mr. Lowe entered the classroom, Angel wasn't there. And as he turned around to leave the classroom, Angel appeared behind him holding a shotgun and pointed at himself. And then, um, according to uh, surveillance videos that have been released since, we see Mr. Lowe uh, embrace uh, Mr. Granados Diaz and uh, take the shotgun away, and they hold each other and embrace. And Keenan has gone on to give several different interviews saying that he told uh, Angel that he cared about him and that, uh, you know, everything's going to be okay. That was a really emotional video. Uh, I know that there is some, uh, not a lot of happiness from the district that that was released, but the power in it was really 
palpable. You know, a lot of these shootings or um, school shooting incidents, there's always this tale of the hero. Um, but this one, we actually, you know, saw video evidence of it. And it, it was really uh, the emotion kind of jumped, jumped off the, the video. Absolutely. As you mentioned, a lot of these situations don't end this way. According to the, to the police reports that we later received, um, both uh, Keenan Lowe and Angel Granados Diaz told police that Angel pointed the shotgun at himself when yeah. um, when Keenan Lowe first turned around and Angel pointed the shotgun at himself and pulled the trigger and it didn't fire. And Angel also told police that he only had one shell in his shotgun that was meant for himself. It's a situation that could have ended a lot worse, but didn't. Uh, Keenan Lowe, uh, because of his actions, went on to be hailed as a hero uh, locally and nationally. ESPN recently did a piece on him. Angel Granados Diaz was sentenced earlier this year to three years probation and was also ordered by a judge to receive mental health treatment. And we hope he, he gets the, the help that he needs. And to remind people about uh, Keenan Lowe, he's a you know, a Portland, he's from the Portland metro area. He went yeah. to Jesuit High School. He was a, a you know, a, a very accomplished uh, football player at the University of Oregon during uh, the glory days and uh, came back and wanted to make a difference. Uh, that's what he said, and uh, he clearly did. Shifting gears, it wouldn't be a year in Portland, um, it, seemingly since uh, Donald Trump was elected and in the years previously without uh, protests uh, all around the city. Um, I don't know, for either one of you, I mean, what, what stands out to you looking back at, um, you know, we both had the Patriot Prayer saga seemingly constant, but there were also other marches for other causes that drew huge crowds around the city. There were. Um, you know, the ongoing culture of these sort of you know, quote unquote, free speech marches where you have sort of dueling extremists from both sides uh, looking to come out and sort of have violent street theater with each other at the expense of the city. That has obviously gone on. Um, and sadly, I think that people have kind of gotten used to it. Um, there Absolutely. Have, there yeah. have been some some peaks and valleys, you know, with some larger marches and some specific events that got a lot of national coverage. Uh, but for me, I thought the, the climate strike march earlier this year uh, – was really kind of it reminded me a lot of the women's march that happened after uh the 2016 elections mm -hmm. where you had massive amounts of people who came out uh with a message that they hoped to spread completely nonviolent and sort of went off without a hitch which seems to be a rarity amongst among protests here in Portland. Yeah, not, not something that we can say for the uh, pray, Patriot Prayer versus Antifa rallies necessarily. Not every time, at least. No. Uh, Everton, anything that'll stick with you from the protest scene? I think for me, it, it really was those two giant protests, the one from June and also the one from uh, August 17th. Uh, to recap people, the one that happened, I believe June 29th was the one where it's it's most notable, at least nationwide, because conservative writer Andy No was attacked. And also it's notable because Portland police at one point claimed that protesters were throwing milkshakes with uh, mixed with cement inside, right. um, which got a lot of attention, but uh, had, to this day hasn't been ver verified. I think what's notable about both of those protests is one, the June 29th protests had so much attention after that, 
um, after the event itself. The August protests had so much attention going into it. Um, President Trump tweeted about it. Senator Ted Cruz tweeted about it. There was all this talk on social media about how potentially it could become a, a bloodbath or a mm-hmm. very, very, very violent affair, the likes of which Portland had never seen before. It ended with uh, 13 people arrested, uh, police officers from all over the state, uh, coming to aid Portland, the Portland Police Bureau and making sure that um, a large riot didn't get out of hand or a large riot didn't break out. It, it's interesting because it, it you had a situation where everyone was declaring victory, but also no one really, uh, but you kind of wonder at the end what was really gained. Uh, you had uh, the, the right wing protesters who said that they were victorious because they were able to walk across a bridge right. and be heard. You had uh, people on the left wing saying that they were victorious because, you know, they were able to not have invaders walking all over the city like maybe they had planned. And then you had the city saying that they were victorious because it didn't turn out to be as as much of a disaster as uh, had been forecasted nationally. Well, uh, I think we can all agree that 2020 being an election year, we're going to see a lot more of this, um, both on the political front as, as well as I think, uh, like Kale mentioned, the climate activists, uh, especially with big transportation projects uh, going to the ballot here in the metro area. I think we're going to have some uh, a lot of people walking in the streets next year. Seems likely. So we've talked a lot about breaking news stories or responding to news events, but um, here in our newsroom, we have talented folks who really dig into stuff over months and occasionally years. Kale, you were part of one of these projects that will stick with me. Remind our listeners about Tanya Culver-Humphrey and and the Mercy Corps reporting, how that came to our attention. Yeah, so uh, it was actually just about a year ago right now, uh, mid-December of 2018, that I first spoke with uh, Tanya Culver-Humphrey. I got a tip that she wanted to speak to a reporter. I didn't really know what it was about, but I got on the phone with her, and she said that she had endured years of very just awful abuse at the hands of her father. She then told me who her father was. His name was Ellsworth Culver. He was one of the co-founders of Mercy Corps, a large nonprofit aid organization based here in Portland. Down in Old old Town. Yeah. I I knew that it was not the type of story that I could handle on my own. I immediately came in, and Noelle Crombie came to mind as somebody who would just really do well on a story like this. She has a lot of experience working with victims of violence and sexual abuse uh, and is just a stellar reporter. So I teamed up with her. Uh, She ended up carrying the lion's share of the load on this story. And over the next 10 months, along with our talented videographer, Dave Killen, and uh, she was more than a photographer on this story, Beth Nakamura, uh, who really acted as, as a reporter on this as well. We worked with Tanya going over hundreds, if not thousands of documents. Uh, We spent many, many hours interviewing her. We tracked down people who could corroborate her story from, you know, the time that she was in her early years, five or six, to Mm -hmm. when she was in her early teens in high school. Um, We tracked down, I think it was eight people who she told, three people who witnessed abuse at the hands of her father, and another woman who had been victimized by Culver uh, as a youngster. When the story came out uh, in what I believe was October, uh, the the fallout was pretty quick. Within a couple days, uh, one of their longest-serving board members had resigned as he was part of an investigation that happened during the 90s uh, where her allegations were more or less swept under the rug. Their CEO, uh, Neil Kenny Geyer, 
was forced to resign after hundreds of employees signed a petition at the organization calling for him to do so. A bunch of employees there actually went out and wrote messages of support to Tanya on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And when she went down there to look at them a few days after the story published, dozens, if not more than 100 employees came out uh, and embraced her and told her that they believed her. And it was, it was a really powerful moment. This is a, a name that's uh, internationally known as a relief organization. And this guy was, uh, uh, Ellsworth Culver, was stationed all around the world, I guess. Um, where do we go from here? The people at Mercy Corps have promised to bring in a third party to do a review of how they handled the allegations. Where we go from here in terms of potential other victims. That's something that we're still looking into. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would say about this story uh, that has kind of stuck with me is that Tanya was, you know, there's nothing that I can say where Tanya was lucky, but where she was lucky, if there was anywhere, was the fact that she had all these documents, that she had told all these people that her story could be corroborated in this way. And what, what kind of stuck with me in the days after we published it is that there are so many other victims out there who don't have that luxury. Um, and it just kind of I don't know. It left me. I, w I was glad that we were able to give her a voice, but it kind of stuck with me the fact that, you know, there are so many other stories where people don't save everything that they had from the time they were five or six. And I don't know. I don't really know what to do with that, but it's kind of stuck with me since the story came out. Yeah, it's uh, there's this saying of keeping the receipts, yeah, so to speak. And she did that for something that was, um, you know, obviously incredibly emotionally scarring for her whole life, but the the fact that she did um, made it uh, the reporting task more uh, viable, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, there are other investigations that we've had here from the newsroom. A couple other that spring to mind are Brad Schmidt's uh, a series on radon and public housing. We did an episode on that. People should check that out. But uh, quickly, Kale, can you remind folks uh, the Polluted by Money series from Rob Davis? Uh, high level, what, what was that about? Yeah, this was another long-term investigation taken on by our watchdog team, uh, specifically by environmental investigative reporter Rob Davis. And so he kind of went into this with the idea that, you know, Oregon has this reputation as a very progressive state, especially on environmental policy. But he found that over the last four years, at least, a lot of powerful industries have either killed or weakened or been able to delay efforts to address environmental issues. And that pretty much all comes down to money. Oregon is one of only five states with no limits on campaign contributions. And so the state is kind of just awash with corporate cash. He found that companies and industry groups had contributed roughly $43 million to winning candidates uh, between 2008 and 2016. And that accounted for roughly half of all the money that legislators raised. You know, and he, he interviewed, I think, something like 200 legislators. He talked to 500 people. He found you know, folks that were leaving the state because of this. Yeah. Uh, he found lobbyists that were willing to tell him that, you know, the enforcement of environmental regulations in Oregon is more or less a joke, and that's how companies see it. And so they don't feel obligated to kind of, you know, adhere to any of the rules that we do have, and they're able to push back on, delay, weaken, or kill the rules that are proposed. Yeah, greenwashing, so to speak. I mean, it's real, right? I mean, we, we kind of um, skate by on your reputation, but um, turns out uh, when an investigative reporter like uh, Rob Davis looks into uh, what what the actual money says, it's a different story. Yeah. And I will say that since his story came out, uh, lawmakers have agreed to let voters have a say in campaign contribution limits. Uh, they'll be able to vote on that in November of 2020. All right, let's take a break. And then we'll talk about a few more of the stories of the year. 
As we uh, wave goodbye to 2019, let's talk about the wave. Everton, Damian Lillard, Portland Trailblazer legend already in the making with his second walk-off playoff series game winner this year uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Amazing year for the Trailblazers. It was. It was. Um, I'm talking about a, the earlier part of the year, not right oh, now. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of hurt because I'm a Knicks fan, and uh, the yeah. Knicks have had a terrible decade. Uh, but <laughs> but two, no, the Trailblazers had a the, yes, yes. Thank you for pointing that out, Andrew. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers had a remarkable run last season, uh, culminating in a run all the way to the Western Conference Finals, where they lost to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, as you mentioned in the first round, uh, they faced the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Damian, Damian Lillard had that amazing shot that ended the series and, of course, waved goodbye to them. And then in the next series, it was a, a action-packed seven-game series against the Denver Nuggets, which mm-hmm. Portland also won on the road, which was pretty great, remarkable. With um, C.J. McCollum getting the really the, the star role. He got, he that, got really hot at the end and, and carried them to victory. Uh, this season uh, started out a little rocky for the Trailblazers, but uh, Carmelo Anthony uh, pretty much coming up off the couch and coming up big for them so far. So the, the rest of this year has uh, kind of been looking pretty bright for the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, it's fun to look back at, at uh, those moments that will stick with us for for years to come. Um, also, also to get a quick mention in the uh, Portland Timbers and also Portland Thorns made it to the playoffs. Uh, the Thorns made it to the semi uh, semifinals and mm-hmm. lost, and the Portland Timbers lost in the first round of the MLS Cup playoffs. I think when I when I think of the Thorns, I also think of the World Cup, and I think of the amazing number of players from the Thorns who played on either the USA, uh, you know, the World Cup champs or. Or Canada, um, Megan you know, Rapino had herself a year. Yes, uh, these the SI uh, Sports uh, Person of the Year. Yes, yeah, your uh, University of Portland Pilots alum, and uh, she plays up up north in Seattle. But um, uh, back to basketball very quickly. The U of O women's squad, um, you know, they are really hot right now. Um, fun to watch. Agreed. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. The uh, <laughs> women's basketball. Oregon, yeah. yeah, the the women's team also beat the U.S. national team in a in a game earlier this year, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's to only, say the least. The only time that's happened, I think, uh, the Tennessee Volunteers back. Uh, this is you know basketball nerd stuff, but uh, Pat Summit, her her team, they they beat the U.S. team back in the day. Um, Kale, uh, it wasn't all just fun sports stories this year. Uh, Alberto Salazar, another duck, uh, famous marathoner, uh, Nike legend um he he had a challenging year i would say yeah i think that is putting it mildly in october uh, after the culmination of a multi-year investigation uh, salazar was banned from track and field for quote orchestrating and facilitating prohibited prohibited doping conduct and what that basically amounted to was possessing and trafficking in some substances that were not allowed uh, specifically testosterone and another supplement called l-carnitine there's a lot of nuances around how these substances can be used mm-hmm. some of them are allowed in certain amounts others are allowed to be used in some ways but not others and it seems like from the emails that were released with this investigation that Nike and the coaches were very much looking to get just up to the line of what was allowed 
and they may have crossed over it. Uh, it should be said that Salazar is appealing the decision right. of the, the U.S. doping agency. Um, there was another man, Dr. Jeffrey Brown, who's based in Houston. He's an endocrinologist uh, who was also banned for the same conduct. So he's appealing that, but that was not the end of his troubles. Uh, just about a month later, uh, it was at least four runners who had been coached by Salazar uh, who accused him of some troubling conduct in his coaching regime, specifically body shaming to the point of emotional abuse. Uh, Mary Kane was one of the runners who came out and said this. A, a phenom, right? A teenage phenom who was supposed to be the next big thing. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I mean, Sal, all of the runners that Salazar coached were top tier. I mean, he coached Mo Farah and Galen Rupp and Mary Kane and he, he coached the cream of the crop because he was considered the cream of the crop. So for right. him to be accused both of pretty much emotional abuse and of doping, uh, two big hits. Um, the team that he was in charge of, the Nike Oregon Project, uh, has since been disbanded. Yeah, and um, you mentioned Galen Rupp. Portlanders, Oregonians will recognize that name, a Central Catholic star, U of O star, Olympic champion. And really, uh, Alberto is, you know, track and field is at long distance running specifically is at the the heart of nike that is nike yeah and they've got a building on their campus yeah. just recently rededicated in his name um well quickly another big story uh, to, to both of you that you know we'd be remiss in not talking about gordon Sondland, the uh portland uh the pacific northwest hotelier who is at the center of the impeachment hearings everton what what are you going to take away f from that uh, as we look back at this year Maybe I should be writing things down so I don't forget things. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Gordon Sondland uh, said one thing at one point, then came back and said something completely different and claimed that he forgot and then started naming names. And it's uh, pretty remarkable that Portland, once again, has found itself at the center of a big national story. But, you know, that's just Portland, right? Keep Portland weird. <laughs> <laughs> at the center of an inter international story, international, right? With, yes, uh, yes, the, with the Ukraine, Ukraine affair, yes. I guess, is what we're calling it now, Kale. Yeah. I mean, it seemed to me that, that Mr. Sondland very much took the the slogan of keeping Portland weird all the way to, you know, a house committee hearing room. He seemed almost flippant when he was in the chair. I mean, at one point, he one of the, the lawmakers was describing how he had been described as the Gordon problem. Mm -hmm. And he responded with something like, that's what my wife calls me, <laughs> which just really seemed, I don't know, Gordon, read the room. Like you're sitting up here during an impeachment inquiry of the president of the United States and you're making jokes and you're laughing and he just <laughs> seemed to not be taking it very seriously, which, you know, maybe is, is the, the outcome of, you know, more or less being able to donate your way into a high level ambassadorship to editorialize just a little. But I mean, it, it seemed to me that, you know, given the circumstances, he could have taken it a little more seriously. Well, he, he certainly uh, presented himself in a different manner than uh, some of the career diplomats, right, or people who rose the ranks through um, through the State Department. It became very clear that he took a different path to his position than the other people who were testifying. Everton, what story that might not have made our story of the year list um, is something that will really stick with you and something, maybe something you wrote or not, just something that you'll carry uh, from this year? There's so many. Um, one off the top of my head, I would say, uh, is the closure of the Alder Street food cart pods. Mm. Um, in its place, they are trying to build a Ritz-Carlton, which would be the first five-star hotel in Portland. I've stayed there. No, I haven't. <laughs> uh, I, I wish we all could stay there, huh? Um, 
there are some food carts that have since found new locations, but others are in storage on hold. Uh, the city has been in talks and has announced a new location in the area, but as of this point, uh, that hasn't been finalized yet. Kale, what do you? What about you? What's a story that uh, that you'll recall from this year? I don't even know if it's one story, but I feel like the issue that permeates through a lot of everything, for me at least, I do a lot of writing about the environment, and it's just all of the ways that the tentacles of climate change has reached into different parts of our lives. Yes, we did indeed have the the climate strike here. There has since been a second one, albeit not quite as large. Mm-hmm. Um, but there seems to be growing momentum uh, with the youth movement. Greta Thunberg was just named Person of the Year by Time Magazine. The Sunrise Movement and you know Extinction Rebellion all have local chapters here in Oregon. And we did not have a, a terrible wildfire season this year, but it's the first year that we hadn't in at least two or three years. And so... For me, it's kind of just all of these stories, you know, climate change is a threat multiplier where if you have a problem, climate change is likely going to make it worse. Right. Uh, and so it's it's hopeful to see that there seems to be momentum gaining around action. Uh, and looking ahead to next year, I mean, uh, being a national election, a presidential election, um, these issues are certainly going to be. Indeed. In and, and going back to the Republican walkout, Democrats have promised to bring another climate change bill. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, my story that I'll mention is actually a story and a video from uh, Sam Swindler and, and Tom Holman that will stick with me of uh, World War II veteran uh, scooter club on the West Side. It's just a, a fantastic story of like friendship and <laughs> organization and like having an active life and this group of octogenarians and uh what's it nanogenarians 90 year olds riding their scooters um enjoying their company it's a fantastic story i might have hit with me just because my wife's grandpa died recently and he was basically that generation that guy so can't recommend it highly enough it's not just the end of the year it's also the end of a decade how has the city and state changed i guess from your guys's perspectives uh everton you've been here for much of this decade uh, what what I have you it's noticed been just about a decade yeah i came in december 2010 so perfect happy anniversary thank you thank you um what have you noticed that's changed in the 10 years you've been here i feel like things have sort of changed but also kind of stayed the same the protests kind of reminded me of occupy which was happening around the time when i first came here for people who don't remember um occupy was a movement that was happening around the world even. And in Portland, it lasted for several weeks um, in two parks uh, right near City Hall uh, where people were staying overnight. Um, Chapman with, and Lonsdale, right? Yes, yes. Uh, those two squares uh, right near City Hall. Um, it ended because police ended up coming in in the middle of the night and clearing them out. And um, there haven't been any protests of its kind since. Well, I guess there was. There was the uh, the Occupy ICE protests that happened mm-hmm. last year um so yeah i would just say that the the, the protests um have stood out, stood out to me as something that has been very consistent in portland also it's it's been interesting uh just as progressive as portland is it seems like sometimes they're just portlanders are not very keen to change um the <laughs> What comes to mind of all things is the uh, vote for the fluoride in the drinking water and the <laughs> fervor around that and the 
um, all the and, and, and it didn't pass. Kale, you haven't been here for the full decade, but um, what have you noticed uh, since since you've been in Portland or things that have changed? Yeah, I am one of those dreaded California transplants, uh, but I promise I only came here with reporter money, not tech money. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. We love you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it seems, you know, it's always hard to look back over a series of years and, and talk about what's changed because often it's so incremental. You know, it's a it's a condo that goes up here. Um, you know, it's a homeless encampment that gets cleared out there. Maybe the spring water corridor. Maybe it's a bunch of boulders that the Department of Transportation puts under an overpass to keep people from sleeping there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seems, you know, and I don't want to be too pessimistic, but it seems that we've gotten very good at identifying problems and not that good at treating them. We, we, we know what's wrong. And when it comes to addressing solutions, it seems like there's a lot more back and forth than there is moving forward. Totally agree with that. Uh, go back to the early eighties, Bud Clark, uh, 10 point plan for homelessness. A lot of it was right there. And here we are, uh, 30, plus years later yeah and that's the thing having moved here in 2016 these are not problems unique to portland or oregon you know where i came from in the san francisco bay area they are at least as bad if not much much worse so so uh some things that'll stick with me i guess from the last decade um the city changing um physically uh, a lot of changes the you know south waterfront uh, north williams looks completely different than it did a decade ago Uh, southeast division the central east side um, all these areas that are kind of developing new identities uh, and some of these areas that means uh, it's coming at the expense of people who used to live there, people who might have had roots there for decades. And that is something that will stick with me and that I think about, you know, cities change, but are we, you know, forcing people out or is it like a, is it a level playing field? I guess we'll see. Portland's growing up. We're kind of in the, that growing up phase. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's hope for next year, less back and forth, more moving forward. <laughs> well, thank you both for taking the time to talk about 2019 and uh, cheers to, to the next year. Thanks so much. 2020. Woo.